Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. And with me today, Kimberly Majeski. Hello, Jim. You know, among many of your accolades, Kimberly, here's one that I know you put near the top of your list, and that is you are the mom of Max. That's right. You've got that guy. How old is he now? He's four. He would tell you four and a half. <laughs> four and a half, because he's very precise like <laughs> yes, his parents are. Yes, <laughs> But, you know, in that role, you've been exposed to some media that you might not have chosen to watch alone. Indeed. Like that movie, The Incredibles. Have you seen that with Max? Yes, a thousand <laughs> times, if once. He loves it, doesn't he? He does like it, and yeah. even as an adult, I'm a grandpa. I don't have a little four-year-old of my own, but I've got some four-year-old grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like The Incredibles have draw because they are like superheroes. They're animated right. characters, but they're out there battling for the good, and they're making a difference. They're turning their world upside down. Mm-hmm. And there's something in all of us that wants to be a person of influence for the good, I think. And uh, little boys like Max are drawn to that, and that's all for the good. Mm. But in real life and in real history, there are some Incredibles too. And the story of history has many different characters, and some are not motivated to do the good, but some are. And perhaps the most incredible chapter of history, arguably so, could be the first centuries of the Christian era, where a Roman Empire, a system of belief, a highly developed civilization, is in control, it is actually managing without precedent an empire. And it forbids these people who think Jesus is really somebody to follow, and it persecutes them and pushes them against the wall and tries to wipe them out at different times and seasons, and yet they prevail. And it's not because they had money or status or power. They are incredibles. I mean, really, you could look at it and say, that can't be true, but it is true. We know it happened. And there's a book that's just been published in the last year that kind of addresses this from legitimate history, uh, from the examination of history through a legitimate lens of objectivity. It's called The Triumph of Christianity, How a Forbidden Religion Swept the World. And it really wrestles with some important questions because the world we live in today is increasingly like that world of the early centuries of the Christian church. Mm -hmm. So today, Kimberly, let's you and I talk about one of those things that surfaced in this history study. How did these Incredibles actually do it? Kimberly Majeski, we're so proud to always have you on our CBH team and glad you're in the studio today. And especially in this series where we're looking at history because I know you are not just a casual observer of history. You're a person who in your professional life as a faculty member teaching undergraduate and graduate school, you delve into history at a professional level, not just as a hobby. Yes, and do the listeners know that you and I could sit here and talk about <laughs> Roman history for the uh, rest of the you day. Know what? Let's just go on for a few hours, <laughs> shall we? Yeah. But alas, time waits for no one. That's right. But in today's episode, we're looking at a book written by an historian. His mm-hmm. name is Bart Ehrman, someone that you respect as an historian, right? Yeah, I consider him a colleague. He's uh, widely published, and this is sort of his wheelhouse, this, these early church years, how the Jesus movement goes um, on to form this um, early church and what happens. And as an atheist and an agnostic, he approaches this material in an unbiased sort of way. And that's why I appreciate his contribution. 
And it's very interesting because he is not arguing from a supernatural cause. Sometimes people who are followers of Jesus, like myself, will explain things through a supernatural lens. And I still do. And I still would say that the history is informed by my understanding of providence, that heaven intervenes in the course of events to achieve its ends. I still stand by that. But Ehrman, who wrote the book, does not own that. Right. There are some people who are not believers or who are not people of faith who look at history of the Christian world and they would say, well, no, God wasn't in that. It's just a political outcome because there was an emperor in Rome named Constantine who helped open the door for Christianity. His mother became a Christian and pretty soon churches are popping up and taking over temples and so on and so forth. And and so there's a kind of secular explanation. It doesn't have anything to do with God. That's not really relevant. It's just really about the political developments of Constantine's age that now have bequeathed to us what we have. But Ehrman, as an objective historian, is saying, no, neither of those answers is adequate. He's not buying those as the answers. He says, no, there's something more at work here, that these Christians actually were incredibles of a kind. Uh And while he does not embrace their faith, he recognizes the power of their faith to influence their world radically. Mm. One of those things that he talks about, I'm dubbing crucial conversations, I like that. Last week, we talked about how he, Ehrman, argues that the exclusivity of Jesus that the first century church presented was so countercultural. It was so different that people had to make a choice. You just have to choose something to follow. You can't have it all. You can't be this on Tuesday and this, another thing on Wednesday. No, that you need a, a unified, systemic path of life, and Jesus offers that. Ehrman says that was really attractive to a Roman world that had a lot of chaotic options. Right. Today... In the second argument, the Christians prevailed, he said, because they lived their faith. They didn't just have a strategy. It wasn't a marketing campaign. It was not a series of crusades or anything. No, these people actually legitimately experienced a transformational faith, and they couldn't shut up about it. That's (laughs) right. They were talking to their neighbors and their friends. They just had to share. They felt compelled. They, They found so much life in what they believed. They wanted to share it with other people. Right. According to the biblical account, there is such a wave of emotion that sweeps over the people there in the precinct of Jerusalem and and then sort of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, that we talk about at Pentecost and the believers just begin to spread, that they meet together, they break bread, they take care of the poor and sick and infirm, and they share the stories of Jesus. And it just takes over the world. The one thing I want to point out, Jim, about this zeal and about this fervor and how it lasts is, just for context's sake, you know, we're talking about the earliest writing of the New Testament being around 51 AD, which would is the earliest letter is 1 Thessalonians. So Paul is writing pretty closely to the resurrection, the, the event events. itself. So people are still walking around alive, and Paul talks about this, who saw the resurrected Christ. I was there when Mount St. Helens blew up, or yes. at 9-11, or whatever. Or the JFK assassination, That's right? right, right. So this is still a part of their memory that they're rehearsing and telling the stories of. And so this is how the message just spreads like wildfire, because people are telling the stories of when Jesus healed, or when Jesus spoke this, or my cousin was there, or my neighbor saw this, and they clamor to hear this message of this God who died for them, who came back, and who set people free. And in that context, 
we all understand the power of an eyewitness. Yes. And that's what launches this group of people forward. But generations Mm -hmm. follow one after the other. And once you get removed by several generations, how do I know that the story is really legit? Because there are all kinds of tales told in many different cultures and faith systems. What is it about these people that made their story credible? When we come back, we're going to talk about that. Because that's a key piece of how these early Christians became Incredibles. As we think about a small band of people, uh, if we took the earliest record, probably 120 people at the at the right. dawn of the Christian age, how they became a population of tens of millions in a relatively short time by historic measure, it's a phenom. The early church was comprised of Incredibles. And how do they overturn the world that they walked in? And they did so without taking up arms. They didn't own any engines of Hollywood or any TV channels. How was it that they actually achieved so much transformational change in their world? Well, today we're talking about one theory from an agnostic atheist (laughs) historian. His name is Bart Ehrmans, and he has written a book, and he contends they lived their faith so completely that their testimony of Jesus was irresistible. Now, the author, the historian Ermans, is not buying the story as, as necessarily authentic, but it was authentic for the people who were sharing it. That's mm-hmm. his line, that these people became Incredibles because they believed it so deeply. Mm-hmm. We could all go to another tangent and ask, well, how could it be so authentic for them if it wasn't really authentic? <laughs> but Let's just say they felt like they had to share. There's a scripture in the New Testament that captures this sense, I think. It's found in the book of Romans. This is Paul's letter to the Romans. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, he says in Romans chapter 10. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? This, this is kind of like a life frame for the early believers. They, they have this in their head. I have found new life. I found peace and calm and power uh, to right. do things that I couldn't do otherwise. And I want the people around me to know that too. And they can't know it if I don't tell them. They can't believe it if they don't have a, a chance to hear about it. And they can't hear about it if somebody doesn't tell them. So it's on me to tell. So their concept of life was not about, well, I'm waiting for an event on Sunday. I'm, I'm not waiting for some kind of campaign to introduce the city to Jesus. I am simply going to live it by the way I live and communicate to my neighbors and friends and family. Now, you're an historian, Kimberly, of, of a kind, way more so than I. There are some ancient documents that talk about how believers who were even hostile to the Christians, how they recognized the Christians and, and categorized them. And one of those letters uh, from the sec- early second century is astonishing, written to the Roman Emperor Trajan by one of his sub-governors, one of his right. you know, people out in the empire. And tell us about that. What does it say? It's one of the earliest letters we have in, in sort of the Roman record that talks about the phenomena of this Christian movement. Uh, we've gone now by the early second century, moving from what we would have called in history the Jesus movement to literally to Christianity. They've got some momentum. They've got some connection. They are spreading. Um, even though there's been persecution, they continue to uh, grow in number. 
And so this letter uh, is, we call the uh, Pliny letter. It's Pliny to Trajan. Pliny is the guy writing. Right. And he is uh, a Roman governor. And he's really writing to Trajan to say, we have these people and they're professing a faith and they're so-called Christians. And what do we do about them? Right. How do you want us to respond to these people who are in these communities We've identified them, but they're good people. Like, they're not causing trouble. <laughs> but he views them with disdain. He sees them as threatening the established order. Right. He, they don't, of course, this is the big deal in the Roman Empire. The emperor is one of the gods. And so you must worship the emperor. And you worship the emperor by, you know, fulfilling your roles that are ascribed to you, paying your taxes, doing the things. The coins have the emperor's face embossed on them. And so the Christians are sort of opting out of those things. They're opting out of guilds that cause them to participate in idolatry. And so by so doing these things and living in a different way, they're being flagged as miscreants. And Pliny doesn't know how to handle it, so he's writing to the emperor. But look and share with us what he says, but it's so striking what Pliny writes to the emperor about them. His critique of them, the way in which he slaps them, so to speak, is actually praise. Right. How does, Here, he, how does he categorize them? Here's what he writes. The Christians, quote, came together to worship at dawn and sang antiphonal hymns to Christ as God. They also bound themselves by oaths to engage in highly ethical activities. They agreed to commit no crime, no theft, no adultery. They agreed to never break their word or withhold money from someone who had deposited with them. This was crazy talk. <laughs> well, I mean, just think about that. Right. It set them apart from their ordinary culture. Right. And, and he's saying, this is who they are. And it's so striking to me. How compelling that is. And then I'm thinking, today I live in a, a kind of modern Rome where there's a hundred different ways of dealing with life and people right. have all kinds of value systems and, and we've kind of lost a common core ethic. Right. And I'm wondering, would anyone describe today's followers of Jesus in language like this? Right. And I'm bringing this up, Kimberly, because it goes to the question of their testimony. Mm-hmm. Everybody understands an eyewitness. But when you get generations removed from the eyewitness, how does that story still remain credible? It's by the integrity right. of the person who's talking. These people talking about Jesus have so much credibility because look how they live. They live differently. That's right. You know, you read these sentences and you know this is this is an anathema in the Roman Empire, right? These people are kind and good and ethical. Think about today, Jim, like how it surprises you when somebody makes an ethical choice or does something <laughs> right. kind, right? That's we right. call it random acts of kindness. What is that, right? <laughs> Why shouldn't that be a way of life? Exactly. Why is it the exception, not the norm? And that brings us to how do you become an incredible? You become an incredible by actually living up to what you say you believe and experiencing it in a way and also owning the responsibility to articulate what is driving you and sharing that. How can someone find the way forward in life that you have found if you don't share it with them? And how can your sharing with them be credible if you don't live up to it? and be authentic and honest. Now, nobody's perfect. We've all made mistakes. This is not a call for you to just hide because you've never been perfect. It is a call for you to be honest about who you are and to strive always to be better tomorrow than you were today as you pursue your walk with Jesus. We believe that you can be empowered to do that by the Holy Spirit.
But wherever you are in your journey of life today, know this. There is real power in making a choice that Jesus is Lord and then allowing that choice to inform the rest of your life so that his teaching and his values become your own. And when that happens, doors of opportunity are open for you to share one-to-one with others about the glory and wonder of this new life in Christ. That's how the Roman Empire collapsed around Christianity. That's what could happen today, too, if we choose to be those Incredibles. You know, there's a passage in Acts that describes the believers. They were going through great persecution. Not an easy road to be a Christian in those days. But this is what Acts chapter 8 says. But the believers who were scattered because of they were being persecuted, the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. They just could not shut up. It was so real for them. And they believed so deeply in its goodness. They shared it everywhere. Everywhere, even to the arenas, when they went before the beasts, when they gave their lives up in horrible deaths, they did so willingly and passionately because they believed in this Jesus who had died for them would raise them to life everlasting. And so here we are today. You're listening and you might think, I'm not sure about the Jesus thing at all. Then we want to dare you to explore. We want to dare you to get into the New Testament, that's the book of Jesus, and start reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Start with John, for instance, chapter 1, and just see where it takes you. If you're not sure, just make a decision. You're going to understand this Jesus before you make a choice. If you've already made the choice and you think Jesus is all that, but you're not experiencing him in a way that makes you bold and brave and a person of integrity, then we're going to invite you to pray with us also today that your faith will grow deeper and more transformational. But in either case, take a step forward, closer to God's will and way with us. You can do that now by joining us in prayer. Our Father, we're so thankful today that you have called us into being, that you've made us, and we thank you for the witness of the Scripture and the New Testament especially Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. brings Jesus right up close and personal. We're thankful for the reality of a living Christ, and I know he's close by, and for his Holy Spirit that's stirring in the heart of everyone who is praying with us now. For those who do not know Jesus and have not made that choice, I pray that you will draw them close. And for those who do know Jesus but aren't experiencing him in a full and complete way, I pray that you will fill them with your Holy Spirit. But all of us, Lord, help us to become more like the Incredibles of those early centuries of the Christian world. So the whole world can be changed and life can be made better for all those around us because we have made a choice that Jesus is Lord. Thank you for your work, your love, and your grace for hearing our prayer offered in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to know more, or maybe you have a question you want to share or a comment you want to make, call us up toll-free, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. We're right by the phone. Always glad to hear from you. A live voice. You'll never get an answering machine, I promise. But Kimberly, if someone doesn't want to call us up, how else could they find us online? We'd love for you to visit us online at cbhviewpoint.org. Send us a message and we'll respond. That's right, cbhviewpoint.org. That's CBH Christians Broadcasting Hope, viewpoint.org. And at the last, if you'd prefer, just send me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. That's Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. 
But whether you call us on the phone, check us out online, or use the post, please, let us hear from you this week. We'd be so glad to respond to whatever it is you have to say to us. Kimberly Majeski, thanks for coming alongside. Thanks for having me. Great conversation today. And we're so glad that you tuned in as well. We hope that you'll join us again next week as we continue to unpack this study of history that also teaches us about today, about life, about the incredibles of time. Thanks for joining us for all of us at the Viewpoint team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast. This is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.